C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia Chronicles, with the amazing Aslan and Peter and Susan, Edmund and Lucy, also wrote a number of essays and lectures, one of which is called The Sermon and the Lunch, in which he regales of a preacher giving a sermon describing an idyllic home life. The preacher preaches about home. It is there we can fling aside the weary disguises of the outer world and be ourselves. It is there that we can retreat from the noise and stress and temptation and dissipation of daily life to seek the sources of fresh strength and renewed purity. C.S. Lewis is outraged at this point. How can he, he thinks, for he knows that preacher's home and has been present recently at a lunch that a huge argument grew up, that blew up in front, in, amongst the family, and that, wasn't, um, that was something that regularly occurred. The, the preacher is being hypocritical. It's not Lewis C. Lewis, Lewis's point, though. It is more that being in relationship with others, especially our nearest and dearest, requires us to be quite like Jesus. And that is the journey that most of us are on. Home life isn't a sentimental tradition. Instead, C.S. Lewis concludes at the end of that essay, must we not either cease to preach domesticity or else begin to preach it seriously? Must we, not, must we not abandon sentimental eulogies and begin to give practical advice on the high, the hard, the lovely, and adventurous art of really creating Christian family, and I'd add all relationships? Neil has been preaching these last few weeks on the message of unity in diversity. And this morning, this shows us the diversity of our ages, from the very young, from the newborns, to the, very, to the not so young. <laughs> very not so young. <laughs> we all live in community with each other, with our friends, with our neighbours, with our classmates, with our colleagues, and our, and our families. And I want to look this morning at just one element of how high, hard, lovely, and adventurous the art of creating family and relationships really can be. I am, it would not surprise you, not perfect. In fact, this is a bit of a better description of me. I hope you can read this. She is not a morning person and needs to be woken up slowly. We have this at home. <laughs> Manny did also say he's going to put a picture of me first thing in the morning, which I'm glad he didn't. <laughs> I am a long way short of perfection, but I want to speak to you about my discovery of the truth and a practice that I wish I had grasped, I wish I'd known a long time ago. Essentially, this is my message to my younger self, my message to me as a toddler or a child or a young person. It will not also surprise you that my relationships as a wife, as a mother, as a sister, as an aunt, as a daughter, as a friend, as a colleague, are also short of perfect. And a few summers ago, I felt that God highlighted to me one of these imperfections. I read two books on holiday that summer, and I used to read a lot more, but that's how much I can do at the moment. Um, one was The Shack, which um, is by William P. Young, which is a time is very harrowing, but a very beautiful book, not for children. And the second was Jay Pathak and David Runyon's book, The Art of Neighboring, also a must read. 
At some point, the books intertwined, and I felt the Lord revealed to me something that I had never fully understood or practiced. Put simply, a lot of the time when I was for- thought I was forgiving myself and others, actually, I was just excusing. And when I asked for forgiveness, I said, I'm sorry. I wasn't asking to be forgiven. I was asking to be excused. So let me unpack that for you a little. This is my flip chart moment. What are the two hardest phrases, but the two most important to be able to say in any relationship, being that between people, between countries, between people groups, we're just going to play a game of hangman. You all remember that? That was from children's earlier. Right, here we go. It's more like it. So if you are on your tenor or under, I'd like some letters. Everyone else, keep quiet if you've guessed. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I've got Daniel just here and then Ethan. E. Oh, no. I'm really bad at spelling. Right. Yes, you've got an E. Yes, you've just got one E. Oh, you have to be a tenor or under, but... F. Oh, okay. Oh, keep quiet, everyone. Ooh. Um, okay, anyone else? Lani? A. Yep. Yep, that's ease. Yeah, I haven't got a pen for you. Hey, didn't you got any? S. Oh, very good. Joel, you got one? I'm going to hang anyone. Anyone, no pen? Right, go back to my... Oh, Tom, I didn't see you there. Oh, okay. Right. That one, okay. It's O U, isn't it? Yeah. Oscar said, "Is it I?" <laughs> well done, Oscar. R. Oh, very good. Oh, lots of R's. Okay. Oh gosh, that's how good I am at spelling. <laughs> Lani B. M. Yeah. Someone said, I've got... Oh, did I miss an eye? Did I just miss one eye? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Give me a letter so I can finish it. What's this one? Why? Yay. So, I am sorry and I for... What is it? Can I finish it? Go. And the last one, Daniel? Yeah. Oh, no, wait a minute. One more, one more, Tom. Great. Well, there. Whew. Thanks, guys. Never my strong point. I am sorry, and I forgive you. Now, there is a reason that most people are taught this when they're children. The ones, they're all the ones we teach our kids. And if you're a child, have you ever wondered why the parents and why the adults make you use these words. That's all right. (laughs) Soft. The truth... You want to go and sit with him now? You want to sit with Daddy? Yeah? You can go. The truth is that they are life-changing. 
Jesus knew that, and that is why he taught us to say them in the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is taken from Jesus' Storybook Bible, which is a great paraphrasing um, story of um, the Bible. Funny enough. (laughs) Forgive us for doing wrong, for hurting you. Forgive us just as we forgive other people when they hurt us. First, we are going to talk about the amazing, and then we'll move on to the practical. And it was both these things that God was teaching me that summer. You may think that you're pretty all right. You haven't murdered anyone recently. You haven't um, taken someone's yo-yo. You haven't hit your brother today, nor not yet. But the truth is that we all make mistakes. We all cause others harm. And this is how Desmond Tutu, who's a well-known Anglican bishop in South Africa, describes it much more eloquently than I could. A human life is a great mixture of goodness, beauty, cruelty, heartbreak, indifference, love, and so much more. All of us share the core qualities of human nature. And so sometimes we're generous and sometimes selfish. Sometimes we're thoughtful and other times thoughtless. Sometimes we're kind and sometimes cruel. This is not a belief, this is fact. No one is born full of hatred. No one is born full of violence. No one is born in any less glory or goodness than you and me. But on any given day, in any given situation, in any painful life experience, this glory and goodness can be forgotten, obscured or lost. We can easily be hurt and broken. And it's good to remember that we can just as easily be the ones who've done the hurting and the breaking. So we all make mistakes. We all do wrong. We all need forgiveness. So now what? Jesus was the accumulation of the great story that unfolds for us through the Bible of God's big rescue plan to save us. In the Bible, God's people, the Jews, were exiled, meaning they'd been sent away from their home, and God has promised to rescue them and give them a home. But at the time that Jesus was born, they were unrescued and unforgiven by God. But then Jesus announced forgiveness. We see it when he addresses the temple. We see it, as we did in Vineyard Kids, when he tells the paralyzed man that his sins are forgiven and then tells him to get up and walk to show how more awesome it is that his sins are forgiven. We see it when Jesus tells the woman who washes his feet with perfume that her many sins are forgotten. Tom Wright, who's one of my favorite theologians, if you're allowed, favorites, describes in his book, Simply Jesus, Jesus' rescue like this. It's the message of forgiveness, all right. But it's not just forgiveness for individuals who are physically or emotionally crippled as a result of their guilt, real or imagined. It's a kind of corporate forgiveness, tapping into the Jewish hope of the Jubilee, the year when all the debts would be forgiven, when slaves would be set free. Celebration of release of forgiveness and rescue from all that has crippled human life. That's what Jesus was announcing. Now, here is the good news, the part that Giles Fraser, writing in The Guardian, describes as the part that puts the good into Good Friday. 
Jesus died on the cross to pay for your and my sins. In that act, God forgave the inexcusable in us. Jay Pathak in his book puts it like this. To think theologically about this, God offers forgiveness to everyone through the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus. This is offered to all of us, regardless of what we have done, or if, even if we care about forgiveness. God doesn't ignore, he doesn't excuse what we've done wrong, but he forgives us. Whether we choose to accept that forgiveness, that's our choice. So we all need forgiveness. Okay, got that. We all are forgiven. Okay, got that. So what I also needed to learn that summer was what forgiveness meant and how I forgave others. The bombshell for me that summer was when I reflected on that, the tr- on that, that the truth that all are forgiven meant that God had forgiven the inexcusable in me. I then realized that there were, had been times where I had known that I had been forgiven, but other times that I probably hadn't accepted it or instead believed that I'd only been excused. Similarly, there's been times where I've forgiven inexcusable things and been reconciled with someone, but there's other times that I haven't forgiven or I hadn't, or I'd merely excused their actions and not gone all the way to forgive someone. Since that summer, I've tried to put this into practice. I first repented to God and then to Manny and then to the girls. I learned that even my language and how I said sorry or forgave them or ask for forgiveness, could be couching, excusing language. God forgives everything. Manny and I now have a rule that there will be no buts. I'm, I'm sorry isn't followed by a but if you had not said or done. Such and such. Now, I have the ability to justify most things, be that shoes or clothes or my behavior. I find it really hard to admit that I'm wrong. And I'm learning to be more honest with myself. I'm learning to be more like the woman who came and washed Jesus' feet with her perfume. Those conversations about how Manny and I could have worked together better in a moment do come as part of our continuing communication, but they're not to qualify that apology. Similarly, I forgive you became, took on a deeper meaning. No longer was I excusing negativity or saying it's okay The consequences, be those enforced or natural consequences, may still follow. But I forgive you became what is meant to be, heartfelt, no grudges, and me letting go of any bitterness. I am, however, a work in progress. I can still sulk for maybe longer than five minutes. Um, And I can hold on to a wrong. But I am working on it. And as we raise another two-year-old, we will model and we will show him that those words, I am sorry and I forgive you, are so important. And for me and him, learning to apologize well and to forgive will take practice. We have even more examples in the Bible. Let's check whether we have this clip or not. Manny? No. Okay. So you remember Joseph, him with the Technicolor dream coat? Well, his, after his brothers sold him into slavery, lied to his father that he'd been killed, they later met him when they came to ask for food during this famine. And at this point, Joseph was ruler, uh, was ruler over Egypt. You could just imagine that this moment, it was his moment to get revenge, to punish them for the harm they caused him. But given this thought, you probably guessed. He forgave them. In Genesis 45, 14 to 15, he says... 
Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. Benjamin also hugged him and wept. Joseph kissed all his brothers and wept over him. After that, his brothers talked with him. He forgave them. There are, of course, situations and relationships when there is no I am sorry from the person on the other side. Leslie Belinda, a vicar in the Church of England, was on Women's Hour Late with Lauren Laverne. She described why she had forgiven people who had done a great wrong, but who she had never met. She said, having received the forgiveness from God herself, who was she to withhold it from others? There is also great research into the impact that forgiving someone can have on your own life. You may have heard some of the stories, but Rob Parsons got a really good chapter in his book, Wisdom House, which I really recommend you read. Some describe it as a weight lifted off their shoulders of letting go, letting the bitterness that destroys, not letting the bitterness destroy the rest of their lives. The ability to move on with their lives is significant. Now, before I finish, I want to make clear that there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. I haven't addressed in any depth the issue of reconciliation, of, being, of continuing that relationship, but we'll just mention it. Reconciliation is the hard work, and we may not be reconciled with everyone who has hurt us. With the death of Nelson Mandela, we were reminded of the example of reconciliation by him and Desmond Tutu in South Africa. And I encourage anyone to get hold of that material and to look deeper into it. But for now, we forgive others because God has forgiven us. We forgive ourselves and others to be able to move on in our lives going back to C.S. Lewis and that sermon and the lunch. If we essentially do what he suggested and get real about our home lives and our relationships, perhaps exploring together how we live those out, following Jesus, how we practice saying, I am sorry and I forgive you, then perhaps we will see more of the kingdom of God breaking through in our lives. And that is essentially what we're all here for. <laughs>